thing on for us. Last week, Drew mentioned something that um, you probably heard, you might have thought about. I want us to think about it a little more. Something he said is really important, and I, and I want to say it again. He said that oftentimes the, the Bible is described like a, a book just full of rules. It's full of rules, and maybe it has some stories story sprinkled in um, throughout it. And actually, the, the opposite is true of this. The, this. the Bible is one big story, one, one giant narrative that, that spans over 1,500 years and several continents and 40 different authors, and it's all telling the same story with Jesus at the center of it. And, and sprinkled in within that story are these commands and these rules. And it's not because um, God is some cosmic killjoy and He wants to just ruin our fun, don't do this and do that. And it's, that's not where those are coming from. Anytime there's a command given or a, uh, a law given, it's meant for our good. And it's, it's, it's a lot like um, limiting so that you can love better. So an example is, I love my wife, so that's why I limit the amount of time and the affection I have for other women. So I limit the time I spend with other women, and I limit my affection for other women because I want to love my wife well. Right? So love limits me to, to be a better husband. And so God creates these laws and these rules, and, these, and He gives these commands, and we're going to see some today in Scripture and if, we, and if we take those commands as like, oh, he's just trying to ruin our fun, tell us what to do, we miss the point. Because every command given, every law given, every rule given, is given with, with a root, with a theological truth at its root. It, it's, it's rooted in something like the character of God, or, or something that he's done, or who we are in him. It's always rooted in something deeper. And if we just see it as a rule, don't do this and do that, and we miss the connection to something deeper, God, the, the, the truth of who God is and, and what He's done and who we are in Him, then we miss, we miss a lot. And we're tempted actually to just kind of dismiss them anyway. Eh. But, but that's not why they're given. And they're given for our good. So I thought that was a really helpful point that, that is going to really be important as we as we get into, it's going to continue to be important as we get into these next couple chapters. But we're going to be in chapter 4, starting at verse 17. So if you want to open your Bibles, starting at verse 4, sorry, sorry, chapter 4, verse 17 through, and we're going to venture in a little bit to chapter 5. So 5 verses 1 and 2. So we'll end at, at 5, 2. And I'm actually going to start, I want to start with 5 verses 1 and 2. Because 5 verses 1 and 2 is the root of everything before it and then everything that comes right after it. It, it, it. It's pointing us to the bigger why. Why should we do these things? Well, chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 is the why. And I, don't, I, want, us to, I want us to start there so that we have that perspective when we jump back to verse 17 and work through the end of the chapter. So 5, 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, be imitators of God, as dearly loved children, and walk in love, as Christ also loved us and gave Himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. So there's a lot in that statement, but ultimately he says, we are to be imitators of God. So we're going to talk more about that later, 
we'll, we'll explain how, how that works and how we do that. It says, we are dearly loved children. This is the, the truth that we've talked about. I, I mentioned at the beginning of this year, you may not have caught it, you may, you may have, but if you were here last year when we worked through Romans, this, was, this idea was big for us. And this phrase that we kept saying is that we want to let the cross of Christ determine God's opinion of us. In other words, we want, we want to let God's opinion of us be shaped by what He did for us on the cross. And that is that He loved us and He wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to know us. He wants us to know Him. And we want that definition, that, that opinion, we actually, we want that opinion of us to define us. We want to be defined as being loved and being known by our Heavenly Father, by our Creator. Because I could be, you and I, we do this, we can, we can let ourselves be defined by lots of other things. By what we do, by what we have, by what others say about us. Those things can define us, but what, we, what we're choosing to do, what we, what we want to do, is we want to let the cross of Christ, the Gospel, determine God's opinion of us, and we want that opinion to define us. So that becomes a root to which we now go, okay, then how should I live? In, in light of that, how should I live? And, and Paul's going to show us how. So he says, to walk in love. We walk in love. Why? Because Christ loved us. We are loved, and so we walk in love. That word walk is literally the word live, to live out a life of love. It's to walk in love. Because He loved us, and He gave Himself for us as a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. So here's the point. Here's the summary of that. That because of what Jesus did for us, because Jesus loved us and, and sacrificed Himself for us, we are to live a life of love and sacrifice for others. We are to live a life of love and sacrifice for others. And that, that becomes the root of everything we're getting ready to dive into in, in chapter 4, starting at verse 17. So, so let's back up to that. So here's what's going to happen. There's basically three sections. Okay, 4, 17 through 19 is one little paragraph, one section, in which Paul's going to describe what their life was like before Christ. And all of them are Gentile, most of them are Gentile believers. He's talking to them. Uh, these Gentile believers from Ephesus, this, this major city in in the, the Asia Minor, in the known world, is a major trade city in, in the Roman colonies. And so uh, most of them, if not all of them, would have been Gentile believers before then and a, drastic, a, a crazy different kind of culture than us and in some ways majorly different, in other ways a lot, a lot of similarities. But he, he's going to describe what life was like before then, before Christ. And then, he's, and then the, the next verses, 20 through 22, he's going to describe their new life in Christ, what it should look like. And then in 20, um, no, sorry, 20 through 24 is that. And then 25 through the end of the chapter, through 32, is he's going to give them five commands. Five commands on how to love and live sacrificially for others. And so that's, that's, where, this, that's where this is going, that's where this is heading. Uh, but before we give this before and after story, I want to tell you my before and after story. I know some of you have... In, in your table groups, you've been sharing uh, different testimonies and kind of sharing a little bit of what, what life was like for you uh, and when, what it's been like for you and, and 
coming to Christ and, and some of you learning about Christ and some of you having known Him and what your life in life has been like before maybe and after Jesus. So my life before Jesus was I was born into a family uh, with four siblings, or th- actually three other siblings, there's four of us. An older sister, me, then a younger sister, a younger brother. And around the age of seven or so, my family started going to a new church. We weren't super involved before then, but something changed. I learned later that my dad and my mom went to this church revival and, and really was convicted that they need to get their family in church. And so we started going to church. I was about seven or eight. And we got really involved. And I was at everything. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And around age 11, I remember feeling like I needed to confess my sins to God. I needed to receive Jesus as my Savior, and I went forward, and my dad baptized me, and it was this awesome moment. Um, as, as I went throughout junior high and high school, I did what maybe some of you have done that, that grew up in church. I just kind of became all about friends and all about sports, and then eventually a girl came in the picture, and they just ruined everything. And so I lost focus, right? So I, I was... I was kind of, you know, going to church on Sundays, but living separate from God the rest of the week. He, he really was just kind of, I, in my mind, I literally think I put him on the shelf. Because that's how I imagine, one of these days, God, one of these days, I will. But right now, I kind of want to live my life. I kind of want to do what I want to do. I'm having fun doing what I want to do. So maybe one of these days, I'll do what you want me to do, but right now I want to do what I want to do. And so that led to... A lot of things. Um, it led to a lot of selfishness, a lot of um, decisions I made that hurt me and hurt others. Uh, a relationship, a long dating relationship that I had that was not healthy, that was not good for either one of us, that caused a lot of pain in, in her life and in my life. And, and a lot of it was because I just lost focus. So I graduated high school. Stuck around, worked full-time, went to a junior college, and all I did was hang out with friends that were not good for me. And, and slowly but surely, over that first year of college, I was walking away from God, further and further away, to the point when there was a wake-up call, and, and God got a hold of my life, and I remember Him, there was, it was very clear for me, there was a crossroads, and Him, and, and him saying, you can... You can take my path or you can take your own, but your, your path leads you further and further away from me. And, and I had had enough of a relationship with the Lord in the past and enough of people around me that could be good influences that um, when, when this call came, a friend of mine invited me to go on this Christian retreat. And, and uh, when the call came, I knew it was God's like, take this or I don't know if there'll be another. And there probably would have been. But it sure felt like this is God extending the hand. And that, that week changed my life. And so it, from the outside, if, if you would have known me months before and known me months after, you may not have been able to notice, notice a difference. You might have been able to notice a difference in my activity. I started hanging out with different people. I started doing different things. But I can tell you, something changed in my heart. My heart was hard before, and it softened. And all of a sudden, I wanted to like read the Bible. I never wanted to read the Bible before. It was always like, okay, sure. I'll read. 
I wanted to go to church. I never wanted to go to church. That church was a lot. None of my friends were at church. Why would I want to go there? I started wanting to do things that, that, um, I would I would be I started leading a a ninth grade boys uh, D group where I was teaching the gospel and teaching the Bible, and I was like three months into just walking with the Lord and going, having out of body experience, going, who am I? Because this is not me at all. But I want to do this, and so God was changing my heart and and. And so, as I went on through life, okay, ended up going to Bible college, felt called into ministry, and, and here I am, 24 years later. And I can tell you, um, there have been moments where I have woke up and realized I did not live the life that Christ died for me to live yesterday. And, and God, I want to do over. I want to live for You. And the text that I would go to Every time was in this, in this chapter, right here in chapter 4, that we're going to talk about. And we'll get to that here in a second. But I want to, I want to describe in, in 17 through, 20, through 19 what he describes as, as how they lived before Christ. He says, Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They've become calloused and gave themselves over to to promiscuity and the practice of every kind of impurity with the desire for more and more. If you're familiar with Romans, um, if you were here last year, this is real similar to how he describes describes it in Romans chapter 1. There's a lot of connections. But ultimately what he's describing is a flawed mind. He says things like futility of their thoughts, darkened understanding, ignorance in them, a flawed mind. And then he describes a hard and calloused heart. And then he describes harmful living, like promiscuity, impurity, a desire for more and more of these harmful things. So here's, here's how I would summarize this. That a hard heart... And bad thinking, wrong thinking, leads to harmful living. That's, that's definitely been true in my life. Like when my heart is hard toward God, how do you know your heart is hard toward God? Well, you resist Him. You resist His people. You resist His truth or, or His accountability. Or you, when things go difficult, you run from Him instead of run to Him. That might be evidence of a hard heart, and I have my heart has been hard many times before Christ and even since. And so, but thank God for these next few verses because it tells us what we can do when we find ourselves in that place. In verse 20, he says, but, but that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupt by deceitful desires, to be renewed by the spirit of your minds, and to, put, and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness, in righteousness and purity of the truth. So he's, he's describing, they, they, now that they know Christ, they were taught the truth in Him, they are to take off the old, that's corrupt, that's, that's wired to 
walk away from God, that's not um, naturally desires to worship God or to love God with their life, and to put on the new self that is renewed, a heart that's renewed, that's softened, that can receive truth, that can respond to God. And that's what we are to put on. That Christ renews and purifies our hearts and our minds to live righteously. To, to live in a right way. To live in a way that we, that we are created to live. In a way that honors, and loves, honors God and, and, and demonstrates our love for Him. That loves others and lives sacrificially for others. A heart that's soft and responds to Him. So, what I loved about these verses, and what I've come back to them over and over and over, is, is that I know I can put off the old and put on the new. And we'll talk more about that a little bit later. So, in a moment, he's going to call them to a new life. In light of this new truth, in light of this new life that they're going to live for Christ, he's going to call them to some things. He's going to challenge them to live in such a way as how they treat each other especially how they um, build up this body of Christ. And he's going to give these things. But before, before we get there, I would like for you to um, humor me a little and put your Bible down, put your notepad down, and close your eyes. Because I want you to imagine something with me. I want you to imagine being a part of a community that spoke truth to one another. That gave grace to each other. That that was generous with each other. I want you to imagine being a part of a, a group of people that when you were with them, they built you up. That being with them was life giving. That w- that when you were with them you experienced kindness and compassion and forgiveness. And I want you to imagine being in the middle of this community that that loves you and that lives sacrificially for one another. Now I want you to imagine showing up to that community after having a hard week. Imagine the kind of person you would become if you hung out with this kind of community for two or three years. Imagine how easy it would be for you to invite a friend who was struggling or just wasn't connected to be a part of this kind of community. Okay, now you can open your eyes. Because I want to read what he says in 25 through 32. And then I'll summarize the five things. Therefore, putting away lying, speaking the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one, of one another. Be angry and, do, and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands, so that he has something to share with everyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need, 
so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You were sealed by Him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. So here's, here's the first one, starting back in verse 25. Speak truth, don't lie. Speak truth, don't lie. Why? Because God is a God of truth. Because nothing is hidden from His sight. And therefore, truth is nothing to fear. The reason that we lie is because we're afraid the truth. We're afraid it's going to hurt us or it's going to hurt someone else. And so we, we don't tell the truth. But if God knows all things and sees all things and nothing is hidden from Him, then, then there's nothing to fear. The, the, the truth isn't something we fear. He is a gracious and forgiving God. And we're called to be good family members toward one another. That's the first one. Paul gives the second one. And, and here, here's how I'll say it. It's give grace to one another. Don't harbor bitterness. He says, he says, be angry and do not sin. It's kind of, a, kind of an interesting way to say that. I would probably say, um, don't be angry and sinful. But he says, be angry and do not sin. Why would he say it that way? Actually, he's quoting from Psalm 4. And if you go back and read Psalm 4, it's, it's Psalm verse 4. Psalm 4, 4 actually is the, is the verse. But if you go back and read that Psalm, he's, David is describing... Um, Difficult people or, or wicked people, evil people who are doing things to him and where he's upset and he's angry at it. And, he's, and, and, and the psalm goes on to say, but in your anger, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't, don't harbor bitterness. He's saying, God's saying, it's okay for you to be angry. A- angry is a, an emotion that God created us to have. There is such a thing as righteous anger. You can be angry. But if you harbor that anger, if you allow that anger to take root and, and, and to harbor bitterness, it turns into sin. It, it leads us to do sinful things. And so the point of that psalm is, is, is God is telling the psalmist, trust me with those people. You know, you can be angry, but just trust me with, with your anger. And so that's what that, a lot of times couples, um, I, I hear married couples describe this verse is like see i know it's like midnight and we're ticked at each other but it says don't let the sun go down in your anger so we're gonna fight this out until we and, it, and i want to go pretty sure the sun went down like at seven um and it's midnight and you're both tired and you're emotional and you're saying things that you don't that aren't you're not gonna like in the morning so why don't you go to bed and, and, and follow the Psalms' advice and trust God with your anger and wake up and deal with things when you have a little... A, you're in a better place. Why do, why, so why be gracious to one another? Why, why not harbor bitterness? Why? Because God is a trustworthy God. And you can trust that He will take care of you even when you're angry towards someone else. Harboring bitterness gives the devil an opportunity to attack and to accuse. And Paul wants to rid that from the church. The third one is this. Be generous with one another. Don't steal. Be generous. Don't steal. 
I know this is simple. But why? Why not steal? If you want something, why not take it? Well, because God provides for our needs. He's a generous God. And He pours out blessing on us. If you read through Genesis, all you see is God creating, giving, and blessing. He creates, He gives, He blesses. That's, that's the pattern all throughout Genesis. And, and that's the kind of people He's called us to be, to be generous people who seek to bless one another, to give out of what God has given you. So we're to be generous. Here's the fourth one. Build up others with your words. Don't tear them down. Build them up with your words. Don't tear down. Why? Because when God speaks, He gives life. His word is, is a light illuminating our path toward life. His word confronts our sin so that the burden of sin is removed so that we can stand against temptation. His words are full of grace. Our words should be full of grace. Should be building others up. Then he, then he describes the Holy Spirit. and Essentially what he's, I believe he's saying is follow the Spirit's voice to be life-giving. And he says, essentially he says, you trusted the Spirit to, to seal you for that day of redemption that's coming. Trust Him by listening to Him. To, to be life-giving in your community. So he's saying, listen to the Spirit's voice to, to be life-giving in your community, to be loving and sacrificial. So the fourth one is to build others up in your words. Don't tear them down. Here's the last one, fifth one. And it's that, I'm just going to string these together. Be kind, compassionate, and forgiving. Be kind, compassionate, and forgiving. Why? Because God's kindness is never-ending. His compassion is deeper than the ocean. His forgiveness is like, it's like a healing balm to our soul. And he calls us to be like Him. We're to seek to remove these things that hinder um, the community from coming together. That, that remove things in us and, and among us that hurt us so that we can live out this new community in Him. I believe that's the kind of community He's called us to live in. I believe that we can live that way because of what Christ has done. If, if you're here this morning, this morning, wow, that's such a preacher thing to say. <laughs> if you're here uh, in, inside um, at night, anyway, uh, and, and, and you haven't, placed your faith and trust in Jesus. That's step one. We'd love to talk to you about that. If you're here and you have done that, and you, and you found yourself, yourself like I have many times in my life, putting on the old self, living like the old me, there's hope. You can put off that old and put on the new. Um, but ultimately, I believe He's called us to live that way in response to what Christ has done, so that we can build each other up. So that we can build something together that we could never do on our own. What would it be like for your years at college to be a part of a, a ministry that, that lived these things, that, was, that spoke truth to one another, that gave grace to one another, that was generous toward each other, that built each other up, that was kind and compassionate and forgiving? And that's what I want to be a part of. And so we're going to take a break, and we'll come back here in just a second. 
makes me pretty old. In 1985, I was like nine years old. I know that that's hard to believe. Um, but I remember getting the Atari. Okay, it come out like in the late 70s, early 80s. So it took a while for my parents to finally catch on. It was probably like $300. I don't know when it first came out. But I remember getting it. My my parents brought it home, and I remember playing the classic games. You you probably heard of these games. You maybe played them. Like what are some classic Atari games? What, Galaga. Galaga? Galaga. Galaga. Pong. Pong. That that's really classic. That was that was before me. What? See, yeah, I didn't do that one. Dig Dug. What about Asteroids? Okay, Pac-Man. Okay, but you've heard of Asteroids, right? Please tell me. Space Invaders? Come on. Um, Missile Command? There's this great Larry Bird, Dr. Dre. It's called 1v1. It's awesome. They could. Doc, no, did I say Dr. Dre? Dr. J. He played basketball. Um, Dr. Dre probably did not. Um, then another game, pole position. You may play pole position. Yeah. Okay. So in our house, we have this little guy, and um, pole position is one of the games. There's several games, and we play this all the time. Currently, I don't hold the highest record. Okay, I'm a little sad by this. Actually, the person who has the highest record is here. Her name is Kylie. She's my daughter. But anyway, so she holds the highest record because she plays it constantly. And, and this is the way she plays. And this is the way all of us played. Because there was something about these games that when you would play them enough, you were trying to beat your high score. Right? So you start playing, and as soon as you know, like you know you're not going to get it, what do you do? Stop. You hit this beautiful button right here. This reset button. It's a beautiful thing. So... Kylie, she's doing this all the time. She's playing, and as soon as she makes the first error, she's done. She starts over. She starts playing again. That's how I played. I remember playing. It's, it's like this, this beautiful, okay, I don't want to finish it out. I know how this ends. It's not going to go well. I need a reset. And, and, and to make a really obvious, simple point, like this scripture, this, these verses that we talked about tonight, um, if you're here tonight, and you need a reset. Uh, I, I just want to remind you of this fact. That the gospel is not true only when you feel like it's true. The, the, the truth about who Jesus is and what He's done for you is not true because it, it feels like it's true once in a while. That's not when it's true. It's true uh, all the time. It's a truth, not a feeling. Feelings come and go. Your emotions come and go. How, how, how well you did life the day before versus today, it's going to change. As a follower of Christ, you, you have this incredible opportunity to reset. To, to, to talk with God and say, God, I, I want to take off this old self, this old life that... This, these patterns of thinking that I fall into or these, these, these things that I tend to start believing about myself or ways that I'm living out that I know is not in line with who you want me to be. And I get to put on the new self, the, the self that's been created in Christ, the self that can think better thoughts, that can act in better ways, that can, that can have a soft heart and responsive heart to you. God, that's what I want to be. And tonight, that's, I just want to offer that opportunity. 
Again, if you're here and, and that step hasn't happened, we'd love to talk to you about that. But if you're here and you've accepted Christ and you need a reset, tonight's the night. Tonight's the night to, to talk with God and say, God, I want to reset. I just want to, I want to start over. This, these beautiful verses in, in Romans 8, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the, law of the Spirit has set you free from the law of sin and death. Like the, the Spirit set us free from those things that, that hinder us and hold us back, those things that, that we need to be reset from, that, that we need to do over with. That old way of living and to, to put on this new way of, of living in Christ. So, I want to give you some time to just pray about that, to think about that. If there's, if there's something on your mind, I want you to have time to talk to God about that. And then after a few moments, I will pray and close us out.